This is the Car Dealer Podcast driven by CarGurus. You want the best return for your advertising budgets and CarGurus Piston Heads are focused on the same goal. With them, you have access to millions of monthly shoppers across both sites. Connect with in-market high-quality buyers today and turbocharge your digital forecourt. For more information, visit dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk and schedule a demo with their team. That's dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk and tell them we sent you. Welcome back to the Car Dealer Podcast. If you haven't listened before, we pick our favourite stories of the week and ask an industry guest to choose whose stories were best. I'm Rebecca Chaplin, contributing editor at Car Dealer Magazine, and joining me today to pick the stories is Editor-in-Chief James Baggett. James, how are you today? Very good, thanks. How are you? Good. Are you pleased to be back? I am indeed. I've moved location, which you, people on the uh, podcast won't know because they can't see me, but they might be able to hear the difference. So I've gone to a slightly different room. I'm now in the spare room of the house. So uh, hopefully... So answers on the back of a postcard if you think that James's audio is slightly better. Otherwise, I'll just go back to my office, but <laughs> let's see how it goes. <laughs> Um, joining us today, our guest is Steve Whitten from Menable. Welcome, Steve. How are you today? Yeah, hi, I'm great, actually. Thank you. Yeah, thanks ever so much for inviting me. I'm really uh, looking forward to this. Happy to have you here. Um, for those who haven't heard of Menable before, can you tell us a bit more about it? Yeah, we um, founded Menable in 2020 on the back end of me being very open and honest about mental health and well-being issues that I had. Uh, and <clears throat> very quickly, excuse me, and very quickly um, formed that into a sort of global movement, which sounds very grand, um, but it's uh, it basically was very well supported by some fairly senior figures in the industry um, as people were really starting to wake up and come to terms with the fact that mental health and well-being is a fairly significant issue across our sector. And, um, you know, if people perform, uh, people feel good about themselves and they perform well. So at the crux of what we do, we're all about helping employers get effective employees back and, and everything that looks like. So that's two and a half years of potted history in about 30 seconds, I think. <laughs> so um, is there a dealership background in your history? Am I right in thinking that? Oh, yes, just a bit. Yeah, I, I started off uh, selling cars, actually, um, back in the mid 80s. Uh, if, if I'm allowed to say it was actually a little Skoda dealership. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in Buckinghamshire in the good old days some people will remember in them days it was a distributor network it was a very different model um, <clears throat> and I started selling cars there uh, and then moved into finance companies so I worked for GMAC which was Vauxhall Finance and then VWFS um, and then my ego got the better of me and I thought no I can do this better on my own I went self-employed and had a period back in time in a uh, in a dealership actually as a dealer principal um, and that was a baptism of fire, definitely. So uh, I did that for 18 months or so and then went back to being self-employed again and running running training businesses. So in and around the sector pretty much all my life, really. You wrote a uh, very powerful blog for us, I remember, in um, in 2020, September 2020. I'm just looking at it now about how, how you had some very difficult times. I mean, you, you were very overwhelmed, weren't you? I mean, you say in this blog that you considered suicide. I mean, but... You, can you can you perhaps tell us a little bit about the, the what what sparked you to help other people off the back of your experiences? Um, well, I've I've actually started doing talks and keynotes on it recently, James, as well, and um, because I think it is, you know, I'm told it's quite a powerful story. 
I mean, basically in the industry, you can't avoid being a bit stressed and anxious and under pressure. And, you know, we all know what it's like. And I know that you've talked about it endlessly on various podcasts about the pressure of what happens and the higher you, you go, the worse that gets. Um, and that's exactly where I was. Um, but since that blog and since the podcast I did last with you as well, um, I've also really sort of publicly kind of come out if you like, you know, what <laughs> most people know what that means. Um, and that was at the, the heart of it as well. You know, I was properly hiding who I really was. Um, and the way I describe it now is that I was in the, in the environment where I fitted in, but I didn't belong. Um, and that's back to the inclusion piece, you know, because there was a lot of banter. There was a lot of, you know, taking the mick and all the rest of it. And if you're anything that's outside of the norm, that kind of heteronormative sort of thing that, we all expected about 20 years ago if you're outside of that then your life was going to be difficult and that just added to the pressure and the stress and so on and then when I declared everything to my family that's when the world fell apart and yeah you're right I I did have a couple of moments where uh, severe moments where I thought you know actually uh, I can't do this anymore and I need out of here um, but then through working it through with my friends and colleagues and supporters in the industry I realized that actually I'm not the only you know, guy of a certain age who's struggled with stresses and pressure. And, you know, if I can do anything to spread the word, raise awareness, educate other people, get people talking about it and making mental health and well-being conversations normal in our industry. Um, so that was the spark, really. You've come back from clearly a very, a very dark place to to now help people out. And I mean, I think there's probably many people out there listening to this podcast who've who've had similar similar issues you know sim- similar instances with 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 friends families colleagues where who have been in very very dark places and you know sometimes that does take a take a turn for the worst and and the worst the worst happens and people who who are left left behind after that are, are <clears throat> sort of left asking questions aren't they what could i have done to help that person could i have done anything to them you know was there anything that i could have done to to, to help that that person out in that in that difficult time is there anything that we can do for our friends and colleagues? I mean, is it a case of saying you're all right, mate, or you know, is, is that, or, or is there something more? I mean, what? No, yeah, hundred percent, James. I mean, we we now use a, a rev counter uh, as an analogy, you know, and and the way I describe it is that if you're familiar, you know, as long as if you if you still drive a petrol or a diesel car or you're familiar with that, you'll know we've got, you know, they've got two dials, one of which is that rev counter that sits there that you never pay any attention to. Um, unless you're a racing driver of course but if your engine is engine is running properly and efficiently and smoothly and it's well looked after you're probably going to be if effectively running at around one and a half two thousand revs uh, per minute increase the pressure and those revs go up so um you know and if the engine goes into the red zone you know that's not a good thing for that engine to keep doing that so the way we use that analogy is to say look the red zone is when someone hits crisis. That's when the overwhelm and everything that's going on gets them to the point where, you know, something is literally going to pop and that's where they potentially will reach out. But the point is with the way our industry has worked traditionally, and it's not just unique to our industry, of course, you know, but this is the bit I'm focused on. We are all in that kind of two to seven or eight out of 10 on the rev counter. Does that make sense? Mm. So, <clears throat> And that's the area that I would call pre-therapy. That's the area where any one of us at any time could have something happen that tips us over into the next number 
And you're not going to reach out to a therapist. You're not going to call anyone and say, I need help. But this is the stuff that we live with day to day. So there's two things that we do. One is we, we suggest, look, first of all, eradicate the how are you question, because the answer to that is generally, oh, I'm fine. I'm all right. I'll be OK. And start asking people where they're revving, because that's going to give you a good indication of, you know, of where they are. If they're at a two or a three out of 10, you know, cool, maybe everything's OK. If the revs are increasing, then perhaps they're under pressure. And let's start to explore that. And the second part of that is that our ethos is very much shoulder to shoulder. Um, and, you know, we're not exclusively about men, but that's where we kind of kicked off and the industry is male dominated. And us men have got a really bad habit of not openly talking about our emotions and our feelings. And we're very less likely to do that when we're actually sat opposite someone. So shoulder to shoulder is very much about actually, well, what about when you're in a car together or if you're two technicians and you're working on a car and you're standing side by side or you're leaning on the parts counter waiting for your, your bits to arrive. You know, those are the types of places where you can have that kind of shoulder to shoulder conversation. How are you revving today, mate? What's going on? Yesterday you were, you know, things weren't great. How's the things today? And see what we can do to op open people up. Um, that's not an easy task. And, you know, I think it does take leaders actually to be vulnerable and open and and just say look you know just because i'm the ceo doesn't mean i'm i'm immune from that stuff um, there will be people out there who who will say to the answer to that question as you rightly pointed out like yeah i'm fine but there will also be people who just know that that person that they're asking isn't fine mm -hmm. what would your advice be to them i mean when if they if if someone's sort of refused the help in some way if they've said they're okay and you clearly know they're not is there an, is what more can they do I, I think this is this is where it boils down to trust and relationships. And, you know, you spend an awful lot of time with the people that you work with. And I think it's really important that we build good, solid relationships. Um, and of course, you know, perhaps the inference of the last couple of years has been that, you know, the motor trade needs to take ownership for mental health. And a lot of the stuff that goes on for people, you know, a good 90 percent of it probably is happening outside of the workplace. Uh, and in their private lives so you know you don't want to pry you don't want to delve into that but I think if you're working with people and especially if you're a leader and I really do take a stand that if you are a manager in a business your job is people your job isn't process and it isn't spreadsheets and it isn't targets your job is people you know first and foremost and if if we do what we need to do to have empathy compassion understanding and just demonstrate that then yeah, clearly, if, if anyone's absolutely adamant that they're not going to share what's going on for them and they don't want to talk, then well, that's that's obviously their their privilege. Um, but do what you can to make the environment psychologically safe that someone feels that they can talk if they want to. You, you, you mentioned there about about targets. And I mean, this industry is, is all about targets, isn't it? It's target driven. I mean, from from sales uh, all the way through through the dealership, everything is about about hitting a number. Is that part of the problem? Oh, is that, is that, is that, is that the problem? Oh, Steve Witten for president, is it? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. In a nutshell, I think it is. I think when, you know, and the problem is the industry is geared up for mass production. And when you, when you have a mass production industry, um, you're going to expect that there are targets and objectives. And I think that that has traditionally the way that's been meted out as, as, perhaps you know well so 
certainly in the current climate when we're talking about mental health and well-being you know you look back on it and you think that was fairly clumsily done um but i think what i'm seeing now is that the, the cute leaders and managers are the ones who realize that you can't achieve that without getting your people feeling like they're looked after which is back to my point about people work people perform well when they feel good about themselves definitely you know um, what i mean so and for people listening to this who would like to practically do something, you know, what I mean, give them a pitch. I mean, what can they do to how how can you help them, and what can they do to to, to work together with with you to make make things better? Yeah, well, we're very much about the proactive, preemptive stuff. Um, you know, there are organisations out there, and Ben in particular, of course, who do all the stuff around. Uh, you know, when someone really, really needs help and reaches out, then that's what they're for. They're one of our referral partners as well. But what we're about is working with organisations to say. Let's take a little bit of a look at what's going on in your business. Um, you know, let's look at your culture. Let's look at what's happening. Um, let's look at your management skills and your leadership skills. And that's that's not done from a perspective of criticizing. It's you know, it's it's working with willing partners who who want to improve and and change. Um, and I'm going to give a shout out actually because it was on the, as a result of your podcast uh, that I did with you a couple of years ago that. Um, Chris Wiseman from Wessex uh, came forward and joined us. Um, and it was after having listened to us talking about it then, because one of the things I said was a question had been raised. If you start talking about mental health, will people start to swing the lead? Um, uh, and my answer to that is, well, well, what does that indicate about your culture? If you even think that, <laughs> or if people really do genuinely have to swing the lead in order to get space to go and deal with what they're dealing with. What does that say about the working practice in your business? Uh, and that really resonated for him. And we we now have a fabulous relationship and, you know, working really hard to make sure that that kind of culture doesn't exist. So so that that's what we're doing. And lots and lots of other little practical bits as well that sit around that. Fantastic. Thank mm. you ever so much for, for, for that introduction to that. Um, and Chris Wiseman, a top man. So, yeah, you've got... Oh, yeah, 100% <laughs> is. <laughs> <laughs> right. Should we crack on, Beck? Yeah, let's play and I will explain exactly how it's going to work today. James and I have both chosen our five favourite stories that have appeared on Car Dealer this week and we don't know what each other have chosen. We're going to take it in turns to reveal those stories and have a chat about each. And at the end, our judge Steve will have the final say on who is the winner. If you enjoyed today's show, make sure you leave us a review wherever you are listening. I actually won last time and I'm on a bit of a roll, so I get to go first this time. (laughs) What was Um, I just saying about pressure? (laughs) this is like the highest pressure podcast around wait till it gets to the end because it's the people always say oh it's just like impossible to choose i'm already on edge yeah (laughs) sorry you're lucky you don't have batch on because batch is the least forgiving if he doesn't win so it's not it's not been a good couple of weeks losing against me um, I'm going to go for what I think is the biggest story this week, which was the news that Ford is going to axe 1,300 jobs in the UK um, as part as a ma- of a major European restructuring plan. Um, I think this fundamentally kind of comes down to the shift to EV. Um, across Europe, they're going to see 3,800 jobs cuts. Um, a lot of this is on the production side in the UK, looking at Hellwood, Dagenham and Daventry not being affected. Um, but there's a lot of back office jobs that could be axed. Um, and uh, they're talking about the fact that they're slimming down their range because they're looking at less EVs and EVs are basically easier 
to put together this less moving parts um so i think this is really interesting because i think this is the start of more more to come i mean it's not it's not the first but i think we're definitely going to see a lot more of this as things become more streamlined because people move to more evs um i don't know what you think steve i i think this is another example of where we create anxiety and mm-hmm. uncertainty and issues that you know for those if i was one of the, the reason i went self-employed was i was put under the threat of redundancy years ago and I, and I at that point thought no i'm going to take control of this um you know i'm going to be the one that's going to be ready that if they do come to me and say we don't need you anymore that i'm ready to to take control of my career and go in the right direction but not everyone's got the the skill set mm. or the mindset or the the level of awareness to be able to do that mm. fortunately Obviously. i didn't get made redundant in the end so i didn't get the package but <laughs> <laughs> but i can just imagine i feel for those people you know, those people in that i get i get it commercially i get it and understand but you know you still think well the people there are, are now you know i i think spending the weekend fretting yeah one of those things where people potentially worked at ford their entire life as well Oh, absolutely yeah these are like their, their career places to work aren't they mm-hmm. what do you think I james i don't really buy the uh this electric angle to this story if i'm honest um i think it's it feels a little it doesn't feel right to me i mean they're, they're saying that the number the large number of these jobs that are going to be cut are at the um dunton research site in essex well i mean electric vehicles are very much in its infancy at the moment they've got they're, they're transforming forming their range uh as you've said from from traditional ice vehicles into ev i mean surely they need people in the r&d department so i mean i just think the fact that then that's where they're cutting the jobs doesn't really make sense to me um it's a massive um amount of their of their team isn't it a fifth of their workforce in europe i think yeah but when you think about the um sorry to jump on your point but um the mackie for example um is the mackie i'm thinking of yes that's the suv yeah yeah. yeah um that is a, like a, a world car isn't it yes whereas historically we've had quite different well, it's probably, that might be a bit of a generalization but we have had kind of more unique uk cars haven't we yes. and we seem to be moving further away from that um but then that's that was a trend that started with Ford with the Focus. You know that was one of their first world cars, and it was one that they developed for. But they still had to change for for local markets. Mm, uh, but was, but the Fiesta's going is more my point. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, I just I don't buy that. I mean, I think there's it's probably part of a larger um, story in the fact that um, Ford's market share has has been absolutely cannibalized by a number of other manufacturers in the uk they used to be number one by a long long way they're nowhere near that anymore they've cut back on on a lot of sales um into 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 high volume kind of fleets and 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 low profitability markets um and i think this is probably just a result of them them changing their business overall so i just think the electric vehicle one is a a little bit of a red herring really um but that's my Forgive me being a bit uh, cynical on this as well, but I wonder if they, if somebody's done some modelling around the pension plan and realised that there's some massive gaps in that uh, coming up, especially as people are living longer. Mm. So, and as Becky just said, you know, if people are if people are on the payroll for thirty odd years, they've got a rather nice little pension pot built and building up, you know. And if if we don't call that to a halt now, they're going to be a liability on the pension plan for another thirty or forty years. Yeah, mm. absolutely. 
Um, right, I'm going to pick my story, my first one, um, and this is uh, the first of two that follow a similar theme this week. Uh, it's about used car prices, and this one specifically is about electric uh, used car prices, a story that's sort of dominated our headlines since since the start of the new year. Um, falling used electric car prices, we say here, is causing concern for car dealers and consumers. Some dealers have lost confidence um, in used electric cars after those recent price falls. And uh, the pricing experts we spoke to think used EVs are going to face this continued pressure for quite some time. And this story was the most popular one on our website this week um, and goes into detail about what um, a variety of experts think um, is going to happen with EV prices next. Uh, in summary, they don't think those falls are uh, have have gonna are gonna finish anytime soon. So I can't get my words out. Um, and actually think it's gonna get worse. The the issue we've got is has it's been driven by Tesla's price cuts of new vehicles, which happened in January, which we we've covered extensively on the podcast too. That's caused electric vehicle prices to absolutely plummet. I mean, we've got a table in this piece about January's electric car price falls. The Mini Cooper, this is this is January prices compared to December. So we're talking 30 days. Uh, Mini Cooper Electric fell 11.5% or nearly £3,000. Tesla Model Y down 11.1%, £5,500. Hyundai Ionic down 10.6% nearly £2,500. These are huge price falls. Uh, and the dealers that I'm talking to is just saying, we're not going to buy any more anytime soon. We don't know when the bottom of the market is going to be for these electric vehicles. It needs to it needs to reach that before anybody's going to have some confidence in buying them again. I mean, if you were, if you were a used car dealer and you'd bought these electric vehicles four months ago, you would have absolutely lost your shirt on them if you hadn't sold them quickly enough uh, because they've been plummeting in value. Um, it's a, it is a big problem. Uh, and I think this is, it, it's, it's got uh, the, 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 the chance of causing more issues to come because if dealers continue to lose this confidence uh, going forward, I just can see these electric prices drop even further. Becky, I know you've got some, some thoughts on this, haven't you? Do I? <laughs> Is that what my face said? I'm working myself around in circles because I think, you know, well, I was being the um, the usual sceptic and thinking, is this what Tesla planned all along? Were they thinking if we, we're going to crash the market? But then when you've got diehard EV fans who want to sell their car to then buy a Tesla, they just sort of shoot themselves in the foot, don't they? Um, well, it's good. From what I understand, it's going to get worse in February. It's good. This is this is going to continue. I mean, we're all, I mean we're halfway through the month now. Um, I've been having a chat to the experts for this feature, and they're saying these falls are still happening. And the problem you've got is a used Tesla now, Model Three, is sort of thirty thousand pounds. The the equivalent cars haven't dropped quickly enough. So there needs to be this massive realignment because what will happen is people will go to the used market and go, actually, that Model Three is now pretty good value or very close to being very good value it would be twenty five thousand pounds in the not too distant future well actually that is a good car for 25 grand mm. if you're comparing it to something like a um a, an audi e-tron which is a lot more money people are just not going to buy them so it's it's going to cause a lot more falls to come i think um I and it's a worry it's definitely a worry i can't remember which um car it was but i was looking on auto trader the other day and when it says next to it like seven thousand pounds cut from this um i mean we going back years now which is 
scary but do you remember writing you'd write a, a buyer's guide for things and you'd it would always be like oh if you if you go to a dealer at the end of the month then they're desperate to get rid of cars so they can hit their target etc <laughs> etc et i haven't written that for such a long time now but this could be the i mean cue the daily mail writing stories about dealers are desperate to get rid of evs yeah. now is the time to buy that's the sort of thing that will happen eventually and i just think it's a it's a vicious circle it's going to be scary at the moment but Stephen, what's your thoughts on this? Uh, well, I, I, yeah, I mean, I can't be anything more than, a, than an observer on this and someone who's been in the industry a long time. Um, but, I mean, I, I personally, have, have, I've still got a Range Rover thanks to the power of negative equity. <laughs> so <laughs> if there's anyone listening who fancies buying a four-year-old Velar off me and digging me out of that so I can move on, that would be amazing. But, you know, anyway, that's a I different story. But... say because he's just like, love petrol power or something. Oh, well, I, I do. It's a good job I do love the car and it's beautiful. And don't get me wrong, it's a fabulous car. But, uh, yeah, I'm... so but that actually is is linked to what I was going to say because I think, you know, I've, I've felt for a while and that the industry – you know, it's always had a very short-term view, hasn't it? It's always been very short-termist about targets mm -hmm. and things. And I've always jokingly said strategic is, means what are we going to have for lunch? Um, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Because, sorry? Yeah, <laughs> Maggie Ma Ma D, yeah, definitely, yeah. Um, <laughs> or KFC, if you're close enough. Yeah. But, the, yeah, the, you know, we, and I think what I've observed with the, with the electric cars is that the residual values on them have not been, not been great have they um and that's what you know quite often if you go back a few years the the g3 were were brilliant at setting very very high residuals um which then drove their values as used vehicles i say i'm no expert on this you know phil nothard and people like that would have more to say on that than me but um that's that's what's facilitated me getting into a succession of very nice cars over the years was was the residuals and when you go and used to compare that to a to an electric vehicle is not it wasn't even close no um i think the the used market in particular for evs needs some support i mean i think it needs some government incentive it needs some there, there are no incentives to buy a used ev at the moment um and i think there needs to be something i mean there are there have been some some murmurings in 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 um, press releases that we've received about government support. I think we covered one of them this week um, about the but the upcoming budget and whether they should do something in that to support the EV market. I mean, even if it was something as simple as fitting a home charger for half price or reducing the cost of a home charger again, there are no incentives to get a home charger. And I saw a a long thread on Twitter um, following a motoring journalist who'd moaned about electric vehicles as they do. And it was about the home charging. And he was talking about the cost of these things. And that actually a lot of people have replied underneath it saying the £1,500 cost-ish of buying a home charger, I mean, I know they can be available cheaper, but, you know, it is, can be expensive if you need work on your electrics too. That's a big thing to think about. I mean, that is an additional cost on top of the cost of the car if you haven't had an electric vehicle. So I do think it needs, needs some support if it's to if we're to stop this downward spiral in prices and to, to boost the market a little bit. Mm. But that's an opinion. <laughs> that's an opinion. We've seen that a lot today. We'll be right back. You want the best return from your advertising budget, and CarGuru's Piston Heads are focused on the same goal. With them, you have access to millions of monthly shoppers across both sites. Connect with in-market, high-quality buyers today and turbocharge your digital forecourt. For more information, visit dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk and schedule a demo with their team. 
That's dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk and tell them we sent you. Now, let's get back to the quiz. Um, segue on to... Um... Segways? When did that come in? <laughs> oh, sorry, say it there. <laughs> on to Land Rovers on the back of what Steve was saying. Uh, this is the, the list of brands and models that made dealers the best margins in January. Um, I thought this was really interesting. Do you, Dave, have you, either of you seen this? Do you want to guess what's the top of the top of the well, I haven't seen models? this, but um, I know oh. that we covered the top ones for the whole of last year, and I, I assume this is a dealer auction list, is it? Yes. So knowing, having wrote that last story, um, I would assume that uh, a Land Rover is very close to the top, or uh, so maybe a Discovery. So Discovery Sport is top making an average retail margin of £3,380. I haven't read the story. By the Range Rover Evoque. Really? Um, yeah. I'm I mean, surprised at that. I thought you were going to say Defender. No. But I, what I was most interested by, I say interested. I'm, I'm kind of surprised and not surprised, but up there is the, um, in one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh position is the Mitsubishi Outlander followed by the Jaguar XF and the Nissan X-Trail. Strange collection of cars there. Yeah. Volvo XC90 up there in third. I mean, yeah. Is this used yeah. car margins? Yes, used car margins. Yeah. I, I remember when we ran this story on, on the last one, someone posted on one of our social media sites that that's absolute lunacy because <laughs> if you've bought a Land Rover, you need to consider a huge margin just for the repairs when it bounces back to your dealership. <laughs> and that's and unkind. Unkind, but probably... True. But... <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think, I'm sure they've got... That's probably the reason they've got such big margins in them is because so many people are scared of actually what might happen when it breaks. True. Do you know, I bought an Alfa Romeo once and the guy in the dealership said to me, he said, just stand there and admire its beauty. I said, it's the most beautiful car on the road. He went, you're going to have lots of time admiring its beauty while you're standing on the hard shoulder waiting for the RAC. <laughs> he, he was a guy the in the dealership. <laughs> I think you do sort of know what you're getting into, though. Oh, OK, yeah. fair enough. <laughs> I like his honesty. <laughs> oh, OK. James, go for your next story. I don't know oh. how that guy's mental health is, by the way. <laughs> I mean, surely that's a sign that he needs an assistant. <laughs> oh dear, that's tickle me. I did buy the car, actually. Fun. <laughs> right, I'm going to do my next one. Um, this is the news that Peter Vardy is in advanced talks to buy two sites from used car dealer Kazoo. So earlier this... Um, not this month, I think it might have been the end of last month, we broke the news that Kazoo is going to be closing a large number of its customer centres across the UK. It's cutting them from 22 down to 7. So 15 of them are proposed to close. They're currently consulting with staff across the country in these customer centres and in its prep centres, which it bought as it was growing massively. Um it spent millions. I think one of them was seventy over seventy million when it bought SMH or what was the other one? Smart 
Fleet Solutions. That was the other business it bought, wasn't it? It was one of those that it spent out huge multi-millions on buying and it's now shutting them all down. But uh, good news for some of the staff at those sites. Uh, hopefully, Peter Vardy is in talks to buy two of them, one of them in Grangemouth, which is a customer centre, and the Livingstone prep site. Um, ironically, uh, these are going to be used uh, by Peter Vardy, we believe, for his used car business, uh, which sells a lot of cars online and delivers them to people's homes. Sounds very familiar, that, doesn't it? very familiar uh but good news for those uh some of those staff i think though peter vardy's comment to um car dealer when we spoke to him was um that they are dealing currently with the uh tupe um the tupe what would we say that is proposals tupe consultation yeah. uh basically it's the transfer of employment Right, Thank you. Isn't it? Yeah, Thank you. far, far more informed than I am. Uh, about it. <laughs> hopefully, these people, hopefully, these people moving across to Peter Vardy. So, the first, first business to snap up some some of those kazoo sites that are going to be potentially closing down. So, good news for them. Mm. Yes. Sorry. How did you hear about this? Uh, one of the people uh, who works for Kazoo, I'm not going to go into any more detail than that, sent me a uh, WhatsApp message. Interesting. Mm. Uh, I just imagine there's lots of people vying for these sites at the moment because... Yeah, I had a couple of messages, funnily enough, on LinkedIn uh, after I published that story saying, do you know who I need to speak to at Kazoo because I want to buy X site? Mm. Uh, <laughs> and I said, no, I don't, because funnily enough, they don't talk to us very much. Yes. Mm. So do you think, do you think, um, did I pick up right that what you're suggesting there is that Peter Vardy might keep the same kind of sales model? in those businesses well he's he's already runs he runs a uh, business called cars mm. which is a used car business which is a very similar model it's got an online um sales solution it can deliver the cars to people's homes but they can also go to the dealership and have a look at the car if they want to mm. something that i've long said that kazoo probably should have done and backtracked mm. and filled its filled its customer centers with cars a long time ago um but yeah, that's that's probably what Peter's going to do uh, with these sites. So the the Livingston Prep Centre is fantastic, fantastic setup, um, and can pre prepare huge amounts of cars. So it's a it will be a feather in the cap for some businesses, and and I, and it certainly will be for Peter Vardy because it gives him the, the the opportunity to be able to prepare a lot more cars for sale and grow that business. Mm. So a nice move for him, and outside of Scotland too. Mm. Is it? Are they outside of Scotland? Is where is? Well, no. I mean, the deliveries will be, won't they? Be oh, the yeah, the deliveries will be. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Right. That's mm. my one. Over to you, Ben. You're quickly moving through all of my stories. I had that one as well. Um, I'm going to go for the controversial MOT delay could see 225,000 dangerous cars on UK roads. I know this is this came out a while ago, so you might have covered this at length on a previous podcast, um, but. It's quite um quite a shocking number, and I still can't really work out why they're bothering to do it. In this piece, um, Edmund King, president of the AA, said, with one in 10 cars failing their first MOT, we strongly discourage the government from extending a car's first MOT to the fourth anniversary due to road safety concerns. Um, it, does, it just seems a bit balmy to me. I don't know what you guys think. Well, I think it's absolute madness, if I'm honest. Um, mm -hmm. 
the uh, the failure rates for those first MOTs is 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 pretty high, isn't it? I mean, it's because often it's it's down to something as simple as tires. People just they don't check their tire tread. It's a very very dangerous thing, and it doesn't happen until it rolls into an MOT bay that they know that they need to change them. So, if people can't be trusted to check their own tires, um, then why on earth would you extend it to four years? It's just it's dangerous if you ask me uh, and i think it's it's not about saving people money yes it will save some people that 40 50 quid it is for an mot on it for that year but i'd much rather know that i'm driving a safe car with with safe tires and and that it's that it's roadworthy so i think it's absolutely madness and i hope the people that are fighting to have this changed are successful what do you I, think? I, I think anything that's involving legislation and compliance and whatever i mean somewhere we've we've gathered gathered the habit to do whatever we can to skirt around it and avoid it and and whatever and i think james is right that you know there's gonna there's a lot of dangerous drivers and dangerous cars on the road as it is without mm. adding another layer of complexity you know if you're like me and you're up and down the motorway all the time some of the things you see are shocking yeah so, I, I look at that number of two hundred twenty-five thousand as well and think that's 225,000 cars that need work on them that's being cut out of mechanics and MOT testers. Mm. Yeah, true. Business. And these, it's not exactly easy for them at the moment anyway, so. Mm. No, I don't, I just don't understand why they're, why they're doing it and why now. I think it's, I just hope, the, yeah, I hope the people that are fighting for it are successful, that's for sure. So what, what's the proposal to do what with MOTs? I'll just move, move from the first, so the first MOT, uh, which is obviously after three years at the moment, moving that to four years. So they, they oh, right. they, those new cars they wouldn't see in an MOT bay until the fourth year now. Mm. Um, yeah, so... Well, my four-year-old car failed the MOT on a on a split in the tire, and which I would never have seen because it was right underneath, and a, and a windscreen wiper. Mm. It's one of those things that really you know, comes it's... down to how many miles you do as well, doesn't it? I could sort of understand if they mm. said you need to do it at X number of miles instead of years, but God knows how many miles some people could travel in that extra year. Mm. Yeah. Right, I will go with my next one, uh, yes. which is uh, news about uh, our car forthcoming Car Dealer Live conference. Uh, so this is happening on March the 9th at the British Motor Museum at Gaydon. Uh, we are going to be talking to a number of different people, uh, but this week we've talked to the headline partners, partners which is Autotrader. Uh, I did a little chat with Catherine Fairs uh, on YouTube, which you can go and watch, and she's talked a little bit about what they're going to be presenting at Car Dealer Live. So just to give you a little bit of a summary of the event, we've got uh, four headline partners, uh, well, so it's four partners, the headline partners of Autotrader, we've got Google, Cox Automotive and Close Brothers. They're all going to be presenting exclusive research at this event. Um, we have got a number of panels with dealers. So the, the headline interview on the day is with Mark Lavery, uh, CEO of Cambria Automobiles, one that I'm really looking forward to doing. Uh, we've got a franchise dealer panel with uh, Paul Hendy, John Whalen. Um, John O'Hanlon. John O'Hanlon. Who, who did I say? John, John Whalen. John Whalen. Sorry, John I'm sure he'll like the compliment. <laughs> Sorry, John. <laughs> I hope they won't say that on the day. John O'Hanlon from Whalen's um, and Neil McHugh from Snows. And then we've got an independent dealer panel and a car manufacturer panel that's also going to be taking place on the day. So we'll be asking them lots of questions about agency sales, 
what's going to be happening in the future, what they think the changes are going to be, what's going to happen to used car prices, new car sales. Uh, we're going to be covering a lot on those on those panels. But this one, this story in particular, was with um, Catherine Fairs. She was talking about what she's going to be chatting about. And they'd, they've done a piece of research looking at the EV disruptors that are coming to the, the market. The a number of them are obviously Chinese firms that are coming in. Some of them are setting up traditional uh, franchise dealer networks with franchise partners um, and others are doing a direct to market sale route. So the, the, it's going to be changing the, 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 the landscape really for, for car sales as we go forward um, and Auto Trader has looked into this in detail. It's done some research that they're going to be presenting at our event. So I'm very much looking forward to that. There's a huge amount going on. If people want tickets, they can go to cardiolive.co.uk. I've got my ticket, James. You have indeed. Yes, excellent. I'm looking forward to seeing you there. Yeah, that'd be good. Because... Yeah, it's going to be a, it's going to be a good day. I'm, uh, I've been spending most of this week writing my scripts and questions, uh, <laughs> and I haven't got very far. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for this because we. I don't really ever get out of the office now, so I'm, I'm just like a worker bee. So I'm and I'm not presenting. So I'm looking forward to hopefully I'm going to sit in the audience and think of some questions to like put James off. Great, thanks. <laughs> well, I, I did offer to speak, so I'm going to have to sit quietly in the audience. That is a massive challenge for me. <gasps> we can sit together and come up and just heckle. Maybe we just he yeah, we'll heckle. Yeah, definitely, yeah. we'll pass each other little notes like school yeah. kids. <laughs> and luckily, I've um, I'll have the number four security, and I'll be able to have you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not a big bloke, so anyone can escort me off the premises. It's fine. Well, one of the things we are going to be doing at the event is we've got um, something called Slido that we've looked into. This is the way. Oh, that's good. That is. Yeah, people can engage with it. So there'll be polls during the, the sessions and people will be able to put their questions uh, via their mobile phones direct to us on stage. And so uh, hopefully it'll be a little bit more interactive. And people can also watch it at home. There is There are streaming tickets available on the website as well. Yeah. Well, just for info, there's another little system that you could use called Mentimeter, which is like an instant real-time feedback mechanism as well. What's it called, sorry? Mentimeter. <laughs> Thank you. I'll uh, get that sorted. You could do word clouds and all sorts of It's brilliant. Yeah, our word, our word clouds are the ones that are dangerous, aren't they? Because they can be they can be hijacked from people outside the event and they can put our rude words. Oh, I don't know, but well, it's bad enough with a room full of car dealers, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. God knows what anyone's going to say. Well, we did a um, we did a competition in the car sales dealer group on Facebook the other day. And I I said I was liaising with Jamie about it. And I said, I'm not going to read. He, he said, just give us the reason why you should be there. And actually, it was quite tame. But I thought this is not going to be a, a good mix of things to read. So, yeah, I would not want to do a word cloud of that. Uh, but that's my one. That was a plug uh, and also my story. Over to you. <laughs> and also my story. Um, that's all my stories because I also had the used electric car prices and Peter Bardi. So, yeah, that's my five. Do you have any more? I have got one more, um, which I just would just like to talk about, which is a um, another podcast uh, that we did on uh, another part, another series. It's one a of second our plug. A second plug, yes. But <laughs> these count as stories, then, really? Is that um, he has written uh, stories about them? Sort of, sort of uh, up to you. I will fair, whatever. <laughs> but I'm still going to wedge them in there. Um, and that is this is the uh, second uh, podcast that we've done. It's it's, it's about uh, it's, sorry, it's called Car Dealer Investigations, and it's about how to spot one of these fake used car dealers. We've 
wrapped up everything that we know about these scams that are currently um, conning consumers out of their money and giving the motor trade a really bad name uh, into a big post on our website. You can find it by putting how do you find a fake used car dealer into Google and I'm sure you'll find it very easily. But we've wrapped that all up into a, into a podcast. We've talked about all of the ones that we have investigated so far and how you can spot them. There are a number of similarities between them that, that sort of give the game away a little bit um, and we've talked about how you can avoid being scammed uh, in if you if you are in the market for buying one of the buying a used car and you do happen to come across one of these, one of these fake dealers um, and also what you can do if you spot one how you can report them so if on your favorite podcast platform if you put in car dealer investigations you'll be able to find it I'm going to do a can a canye and say I'm gonna let you finish but that's actually a last week's story because I already used that last week yeah, but I wrote this. I wrote this story today, so it and is. So you've rewritten. Oh. I'm, I'm sure some people only listen to the podcast when you're on, anyway. So <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> but then, there you go. That's my full list of stories. Thank you for letting me wedge you in. Um, Steve, I'm going to hand over to you. Who do you think had the best stories this week? Well, what, what's the criteria? Absolutely uh, anything. It yeah. can be that you prefer one of us. That you just like oh, hats, <laughs> that you actually think a story is best, all the stories are best. We have had every single reason under the sun why people think one of us should win. Yeah. Well, you're both equally awesome. Oh, so you. I can't base it on that. Um <laughs> good God. Um, I've, I've got to say, the um I think our industry well, can I have kind of a a a, a joint-ish one? Yeah. No, I'll tell you what then. As a very, very okay, okay. Well, but then as a highly commended, very close runner-up, bloody hell. Um, (laughs) I've got to say, our industry does come in for some stick quite a lot. But actually, we are a great bunch of people collectively, and I think used car dealers in particular have had and do have a pretty, a pretty rough ride quite often. So I think your podcast that highlights that there are some fake people out there making it bad for all those good, honest, hardworking car sales people, I think is is definitely worthy of, of uh, a commendation at the very least. Uh, but in terms of favourite, and I don't, I wouldn't say the word favourite, but the story that I think has got to be top and it's purely because it's based around people and i really feel for them is the uh ford axing jobs yes i think and that's because it's come it's got a people angle which obviously i can't avoid can i yeah i shouldn't really be celebrating should i it's a very sad story but no yeah but it does mean you um just before just before you do your outro uh, Stephen, do you want to just do a plug for you for the website and stuff for people who want to uh, find out more yeah, I mean, we we really are, you know, this year we're moving into a, a really good place with what we're doing with Men Able. It's about raising awareness and, and educating people, recognising that, you know, managers and leaders need a lot of help. So if if that any of that resonates, uh, you can get hold of me on menable.org, which is the website, or actually my own, can I give out my own email address? If you want, if you want to. to. Yeah, it's Stephen with a P-H dot Witten, that's W-H-I-T-T-O-N at menable.org and it's when i say menable it's not men able it's actually enable with an m yeah got you see what i did there yeah, yeah. <laughs> i like it <laughs> well congratulations with all you're doing and uh, best oh, of thank luck. you best of yeah. luck with the rest of it 
lovely yeah. to have you on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I hope I did all right. Fantastic. Um, thank you both for being here. If you want to find out more about any of the stories that we've mentioned today, you can click the links in the show notes below, or you can head over to cardealermagazine.co.uk and scroll down to the podcast section. Alternatively, you can go to cardealerlive.co.uk, as James mentioned earlier, if you would like to get tickets and meet all three of us. We will all be there at Cardealer Live um indeed on march 9th i'm even gonna get my hair done <laughs> <laughs> which if you're listening to this without seeing the video won't mean anything will it not, not quite as funny but no <laughs> use your imagination yeah improve, improve that perm of yours <laughs> <laughs> okay we we'll be back again next week so don't forget to hit subscribe you'll get a notification as soon as the next episode goes live until then though goodbye <laughs>